Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Rasulullah. All praises are due to Allah, the creator, the cherisher, and the sustainer of this universe. And may his peace and blessings be upon his noble prophet Muhammad and his companions and descendants and followers, dear respected brothers and sisters. Jazakumullah khairan for coming. Welcome to the sixth session in Surah An-Nur. We will start verse number 32. I really don't know how many sessions we need more to finish Surah An-Nur. But it's up to you and it's up to Meadows of Paradise. If we continue until we finish or not, this is something up to you. Inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وَأَنْكِحُوا الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ يَكُونُوا فُقْرَاءَ يُغْنِهِمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ Marry of the single among you and those of your male and female slaves who are fit for marriage. If they are poor, God will provide for them from His bounty. God's bounty is infinite and he is all-knowing. We said before that this workshop is not about tafsir. If you want to know tafsir, read the book of tafsir. It's about reflection. It's about tadabbur, trying to decode the messages that are loaded in every single verse and sent to your heart. Here I see that, subhanAllah, after Allah addressed in the past 31 verses, from the beginning of the surah, Allah addressed adultery, addressed the issue of slander and spreading rumors. Allah also addressed the issue of lowering the gaze, addressed the dress code of Muslims, whether male or female. Here Allah is speaking about the solution, which is commanding marriage of single people. So the solution for all this is marrying the singles. So Allah says in the verse, وَأَنْكِحُوا الْأَيَامَ Marry of the single, the single people, whether they are free people or at that time they were also slaves, or even if they are slaves, slave boys and slave girls, marry them to each other. Here this brings us to the issue again that is like the, this, the, the surah is touching upon, which is the issue of sex. Islam, unlike many, or unlike especially Christianity. Actually, if you read, there is a good book called Sex in History for a researcher called Ray Tannehill. And she explored how different cultures and different religions deal with this sensitive issue. And she found that especially Islam did not have a problem with it did not see it as something disgusting like Christianity. Christianity see it, saw that as something disgusting. So celibacy is better than uh, fulfilling the sexual desire. But in Islam, sex is seen, as, is seen as something good, something normal, something natural, something beautiful, but it has to be fulfilled within the frame of marriage. So we don't have a complex. We don't have the complex, 
that exists in other uh, uh, cultures, especially Christianity. Many other cultures do not have also a problem with it. Jewish, Jew, the, the Jews don't have a problem with it. Uh, Chinese don't have a problem with it, but especially uh, uh, Chris, the Christian mind is, uh, is programmed that sex is something, is a taboo, is something. That's why when, when they um, threw uh, Christianity behind their backs, you saw the uh, complete divergence and how they, they uh, uh, exceeded the limits on, uh, in this uh, issue. Uh, you need to know that until the early uh, 1920s, um, American women could not uh, uh, kiss their husbands. It's not allowed. It's not something. It's something abnormal to happen. And in Christianity, sex is something that should be just done mechanically uh, to for procreation. But there should be no feelings between the husband and the wife. And in the history of Christianity, when the Pope learned that husbands and wives are practicing this. Uh, with feelings, they took strange measures, actually. Yani two of them turned the main church in Rome into a place where people can go and practice this, but with prostitutes, instead of practicing this at home, because homes should be kept clean. Read, this is history. This is history. And the book is there called Sex and History, and, and this is, I mean, in Islam, there is no complex with this, but it has to be fulfilled through marriage. Celibacy and monasticism are not allowed in Islam, actually. Uthman ibn Mav'oon, one of the uh, famous companions of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu he, uh, he was from the Muhajireen, and he is, by the way, one, the first Muhajir to die in Medina. Uthman ibn Mad'oon asked the Prophet وسلم, if he can be celibate or if he can even sterilize himself so as not to think at all about this and to only think about worship and praying and fasting and the Prophet did not allow him. The Prophet said, O oh, Uthman, Uthman ibn Mad'oon, not ibn Affan, O oh, Uthman, Allah did not send me with monasticism. Allah did, send, did not send me with monasticism. Uh, monasticism means rahbana, rahban, people who say we will not marry for the sake of God. This is not allowed in Islam. Actually, the sexual uh, desire, when fulfilled between the husband and the wife, is actually a ibadah in Islam. Ibadah. It's an act of worship. Where is this? In the hadith of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he said لصدقة, that in the uh, in the sexual intimate relationship between the husband and the wife there is a reward as if one is spending in charity and the Sahaba said what? How come? How come, O oh Rasulullah, that one of us fulfills his desire with his wife and be rewarded? 
He said, why are you surprised? Don't you think that if he does it in haram, he should be punished? They said, definitely. He said, why don't you think that if he does it in a halal way, with good intentions, to fulfill his desire and his wife's desire and stay away from illegal relationships that he can be rewarded. So even this is a ibadah in Islam. SubhanAllah. If done with good intentions. Verse number 32. Actually, the same verse. says, Marry of the single among you and those of your male and female slaves who are fit. Here, Many people actually spoke about that in the tafsir that said, yes, so it means that if the slave boy or slave girl are religious and they uh, uh, pray uh, uh, continuously and they are uh, 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 close to Allah, as a reward for them, we marry them to each other. That's not true. Salihin here doesn't mean religious. Salihin means that they are fit for marriage. Because some ibad, some abid were sterilized, so they are not fit for marriage. Some are not fit for marriage. So here it means if they are fit for marriage. Why am I saying that that's not true? That Salihin means close to Allah. Because in Islam, marrying people who are non-religious is even more prior than marrying religious people. Why? So that the facade and the uh, corruption would decrease in society. So for example, if um, we know about a woman who's like a dancer, she dances in clubs and stuff like that, and she asks for marriage, and we find someone who is also like uh, a Muslim, but he drinks and he... Yeah, okay, let's marry them to each other. This is better. Better than even marrying religious people. Because the more people get married, the less the corruption in society. So same here. So when Allah says, وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ means those who are fit for marriage from among your slave, uh, slaves and, and uh, slave girls. And then Allah says an amazing thing. If they are poor, God will provide for them from his bounty. Because that's true. Most of the marriages that don't work, that don't... Uh, most of the uh, cases of rejecting marriage are for financial reasons. Allah here says, if they are poor, Allah will give them from his bounty. Which means, how can financial reasons be a reason why you're rejecting someone or accepting someone? This is something that changes how many rich people today were so poor a few years ago. And how many Many poor people today were also rich a few years ago. So this is something, as long as he is someone who has work, he's working, he's active, he then marry him. So here Allah is like criticizing uh, those who are giving a lot of weight for the financial status when it comes to it. It's true that we should give Weight also to other things like, for example, the uh, maybe the level of education. This is something that can be considered, of course, but not the level of uh, financial level. <clears throat> Verse number 
And the Prophet said, إذا جاءكم من ترضون دينه وخلقه فزوجوه إلا تفعلوا تكون فتنة في الأرض وفساد عريض If there comes to you one of the, with, the, with whose character and religious commitment you are pleased, then accept his marriage proposal. For if you do not do that, there will be fitna, turmoil in the land and widespread corruption. So if we start rejecting people who are religious and good and have good character just for financial reasons, turmoil will happen in our society. And the Prophet ﷺ spoke also about marrying women. He said, تُنْكَحِ الْمَرْأَ لِأَرْبَعَ لِدِينِهَا وَجَمَالِهَا وَمَالِهَا وَحَسَبِهَا فَاظْفَرْ بِذَاتِ الدِّينِ تَلِبَتْ يَدَاكَ A woman is married for four things, for four reasons. Her wealth, her family status, her beauty, and her religion. So you should not miss to marry the religious woman. May Allah make you successful. Which means those are the only four reasons why people get married to women. Either because those women are beautiful, or because those women are from a high class family, or because they are wealthy, or because they are religious. So the Prophet is recommending who? The religious one. It's okay if you, if you get a religious one and beautiful, nice. If she's religious and wealthy, okay. If she's religious and from a, a high family, a high class, okay, but focus on the religious one. You are choosing a mother for your children. Like there is something called kindness to the parents. There is also something called kindness to the children. What are the rights of your children? Your, the rights of your children start before you get married. By choosing a good mother. Same for you, sister. The right of your children on you starts before getting married by choosing a good husband. And then there are also other rights of children like choosing a good name, educating them, and so on. And the Prophet ﷺ said, O youth, ya ayyuhashabab, get married as soon as you can afford it as it makes lowering the gaze easier, protects your chastity. Those who can't let them, who cannot get married, let them fast as it is a refuge for them. So the Prophet is talking to the youth, telling them, get married as soon as you can afford. So see here, subhanAllah, the Prophet is dealing with the two sides. JazakAllah khair, thank you very much. He's telling people not to reject poor uh, people who are coming to proposing for marriage. And he is telling the youth that you also should be able financially before you, you go and propose for people. So you always find Islam here dealing with both parties. Islam tells rich people to spend day and night and tells poor people to be modest and not to ask and beg. This is in the Quran. So always Islam deals with both sides. And subhanAllah, again I told you, to reflect upon in an ayah, focus a lot upon the ending of the verse because we sometimes focus on the whole verse and we just like neglect the end of the verse as if it's just something that Allah is just putting for no reason. That's not true. 
Allah here says in this verse, he is ending by, وَإِيَّكُونُوا فُقَرَاءَ إِيَّكُونُوا فُقَرَاءَ يُغْنِهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah says, if they are poor, God will provide for them for, from his bounty. God's bounty is infinite and he is all-knowing. وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ One of the names of Allah is Al-Wasi' which means the one who has infinite bounty. So you see that the, Allah chose from his names what is suitable for the meaning of the ayah. Allah did not say, and Allah is most merciful, for example. Allah did not say, Allah is the compeller, the avenger. No, he said, Allah is the, is infinite in his bounty. And he is all-knowing. The Prophet ﷺ said, There are three whom Allah promised to help. Which means Allah have made it an obligation on him to help them. This is literally as in Arabic. It's an obligation on Allah. Who obligates on Allah? Allah himself. So Allah obligated himself to help three type of people. Who? Number one, the one who wants to get married in order to keep himself chaste for this reason. So it is Allah obligated on himself to help someone like that. Seeking marriage to keep himself chaste. The second is المكاتب يريد الأداء. You remember when we spoke about the type of people who are the uh, slaves who uh, wrote agreement? Did we speak of this or, or not yet? Oh, so maybe, maybe today, inshallah. Uh, uh, you will see today that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, have ordered the masters to write agreement with their slaves, telling the slaves how much they worth. So every slave will have a contract in his hand. In this contract, his master is telling him that he worth, for example, 1,000 pounds. So the master cannot change his mind later on if the slave can bring him 1,000 pounds. So Allah here, the Prophet ﷺ here says that Allah have, have promised to help a slave who is trying to buy his own freedom. Allah will help him buy his own freedom. Like he helps the one who seeks Marriage to keep himself chaste. And the third one is Al-Ghazi fi sabilillah, which means the one who strives in the cause of Allah. SubhanAllah, here we see that also in this ayah, Allah says, Marry the singles among you and the slaves and the slave girls. Allah here did not, Allah here did not make any difference between people whether they are free or slaves, when it comes to a human right. So marriage is a human right. Marriage is an obligation. You need to understand that. If and marriage can be either obligatory, fard, or can be recommended, or can be haram. Marriage can be haram. When can marriage be haram? In cases when like someone cannot get married to his sister, someone cannot get married to his uh, mother, or maybe if he is important, it is haram to get married if you are important without telling 
people. So they have to know. Or this marriage can be haram, can be nullified. Actually, the contract, if, if the woman goes to the, to the judge and prove that the man did not tell her that he is unable of practicing the sexual uh, intercourse, then the contract is nullified. So this marriage is haram because he deceived someone. It can be recommended if someone is able to get married, but it's not expected that he falls into sin. He's a, a chaste person who is religious. He knows how to, to lower his gaze. Here it is recommended for him to get married. But if someone is, may expect himself to fall into sin if he doesn't get married, then marriage is an obligation on him. An obligation. Whether free or unfree, whether or slave. Actually, it doesn't matter here. Allah did not differentiate here because slavery is considered an exceptional status. It's not the norm. It's an exceptional status which have happened as a result of racism, as a result of oppression. People oppressed each other, so they enslaved each other. But originally, people were born free and were created free. The next verse, verse number 33 says, Verses number 33 says, Those who are unable to marry should keep chaste until God gives them enough out of his bounty. As we said, Allah promised to help them. But that should, they should keep themselves chaste. Because you know that Prophet Muhammad has a hadith that says, Az-zina yurithul faqr. Zina would inherit poverty. Those who practice zina will end up poor in this dunya, by the way. And the rest of the verse says, if any of your slaves wish to pay for his freedom, make a contract with them accordingly, if you know they have good in, they have good in them, and give them some of the wealth which God has given to you. Do not force your slave girls into prostitution when they themselves wish to remain honorable in your quest for the short-term gains of this world. Although if they are forced, God will be forgiving and merciful. Let's reflect on this. SubhanAllah, this verse, if you look at the whole verse, it reflects a human struggle against poverty, against slavery and racism against abuse and exploitation because it speaks in the beginning about those who are unable to marry should keep themselves chaste until Allah gives them enough of his bounty so those are people struggling against poverty and the next one speaks about those who seek emancipation so Allah is telling the masters to write for them contracts so here you feel that there's a human struggle against racism and slavery. And the third is talking about those who are forcing their slave girls to work as prostitutes 
to gain money from that. Here you feel that there's a human struggle against exploitation and abuse. People are abusing those who are weaker than them. So the verse itself overflows with struggle. This, this life is just a struggle. Every one of us is struggling somehow. And if you're not struggling somehow, then there's something wrong with your life then. This life is a struggle. And the struggle needs what? Needs patience. Patience. Here I'd like to focus a lot upon the, ver uh, the, the part of the verse that speaks about the slaves who seek emancipation. Allah tells the masters, write for them an agreement. So is it an obligation on the master to write an agreement for his slave if his slave comes seeking emancipation? It is an obligation. What is the dalil? Anas, who was a companion of the Prophet had a slave called Sirin. Is the father of Muhammad ibn Sirin, one of the great ulama later on. Sirin was a beautiful uh, uh, person actually, and Anas loved him so much, and he never wanted him to go away. So when Sirin came to Anas asking him to write him an agreement, Anas said, no, I'm not writing you an agreement. It's not an obligation. The verse just, this is just a recommendation. So Sirin, the slave, went and complained to Umar ibn al-Khattab, who was Khalifa at that time. So Umar punished Anas, the master. It's an obligation. Why? Because there should always be hope. Life cannot continue without hope. There should be some light at the end of the tunnel, or people can explode like that. So Islam doesn't allow that someone lives without any hope like that. Write for him an agreement. Tell him you cost you worth 100,000 pounds. But write for him an agreement. And then Allah says, and give them out of the wealth of Allah that he has given you. Which means when you write the agreement, write down that you are donating to him the first amount of money and you give him the money. So he keeps it with him and he starts soliciting donations from people or working after hours or borrowing money until he buys his own freedom. So you cannot hear exploit him and say you cost what you, you, you worth 100,000 pounds okay you are going to donate 25 percent according to imam ali ibn abi talib it's not less than 25 percent the least among all the opinions is one over seven which is about 15 percent or even more but this leads to what <clears throat> You know, uh, I lived in the States for a while. And if you make a dinner and invite Americans, non-Muslim Americans, to this dinner, from different backgrounds, Latinos, white, blacks, after the dinner, you see polarization. Black people standing with each other, talking with each other, and the white people talking with, you don't find them mixing. 
Maybe in the new generations things are changing now. Maybe, but not still much. But in the older generations, not. Why? Because the way slavery was ended in the States, how was it ended? By the law. An, an act that was signed by uh, President, uh, what's his name? No, Abraham Lincoln. It was passed by the Congress and he signed that. So there, at this moment, the, the slaves were freed. This is not the way to deal with a, a problem that is rooted in the society. One of the uh, books that I bought from Amazon is called Sick from Freedom. It talks about the freed slaves, 25% of them died in the first year after their emancipation out of starvation and diseases. This is not how you deal with this, with something rooted like that in the society. Islam, when Islam dealt with it, did not deal with, deal with slavery. Slavery is a symptom, but not the disease. The disease is racism. So Islam dealt with racism in order to fix the symptom, which is slavery. But when someone is having pain in his chest, you can't give him Panadol. You can't give him painkillers. This is not how you deal with this. Anyway, this is a whole big issue, but what I care about here is when the slave sees his own master donating to him his first installment. He looks at this master highly, and when he becomes a free person, he sees his master as the first one who helped him become free. So what happened? Many of those slaves, when they were able to buy their freedom, they went and they told their masters, am I free to go? He said, definitely, you're free to go. You give me the money. He said, can I still live here with you and work with you as an assistant? So within two decades, the word slaves nearly disappeared and a new word, mawali, appeared. Mawla, or mawali means, is the plural of mawla. Mawali means ex-slaves or ex-masters. You can differentiate. And one of them is Hudayfa, uh, Hudayfa, I remember now. Uh, one of them, his Mawla, he is, he is an ex-slave, was about to become a, the Khalifa after Umar al-Khattab, but he died. Umar al-Khattab said, had those two people been alive, I could have nominated them to become the Khalifa after me. One of them is Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa. I just don't have gifts with me today or I could have given you a gift now. Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa is an ex-slave and he could have been instead of Uthman ibn Affan. So this is how Islam fixed it. By making the masters help their own slaves gain their freedom. So you don't see a problem, of course, in the States, in 2008, there was an elected president, black president. And the Americans are so proud of that. And they should be proud of that, of course, after the his, this you know, uh, 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 history of 
segregation and and uh, and uh, and racism in this country. But when I saw that, I saw that in Egypt in 1970 we had a black president for 10 years and we didn't even realize it. We just realized it when Obama became president in 2008. That was President Sadat for 10 years. Yes, Sadat was is black, and we didn't even realize it. Why? Because of the way Islam dealt with it. He dealt with racism itself, not with slavery. How did Islam deal with racism? Through the original sin. Original sin in Christianity is what? Adam ate from the tree, and then what happened? Yeah, um, the sin entered into the world. That's what they say. And God had to send his only begotten son to be crucified and stuff like that. But in Islam, this is not the original sin. The original sin is the sin of Satan. When he did not uh, bow down for Adam or prostrate for Adam, and God blamed him. Why didn't you prostrate for the one that I created with my hands and I commanded you? He said, because I am better than him. You created me from fire and you created him from clay. Racism. I am white and he's black. I am European and he's Arab. I'm from fire and he's from clay. God said, get out from paradise. You cannot act as arrogantly here. He was not arrogant because he was rich. He was not arrogant because he was beautiful. He was arrogant because of his race, which means racists have no place in paradise, in Islam. This is your religion. And there's something that I need to tell you that sometimes you find the Quran encouraging Muslims to spend firriqab. Firriqab means in necks. This is li the literal translation. And sometimes, which means freeing a neck. What is the difference between freeing a neck, which means freeing a slave? It means freeing a whole slave. Firriqab, which is zakah. Zakah can be spent in different things for the poor and the needy and so on and so on and so and which means to help those who have emancipation agreements and they are collecting money to buy their own freedom. So one of the ways of spending our zakah is to help those people who want to buy their own freedom. But there's a here a uh, in this verse Allah says in alimtum fihim khayran. So Allah says in this verse if any of your slaves wish to pay for their freedom, make a contract with them accordingly. In alimtum fihim khayran. If you know that they have good in them, which means <coughs> the slave who wants to who wants emancipation should be a good, good have good should have good manners and should be religious. Should be someone who prays and fasts. Should be a religious person. This is a motivation for the slaves in order so that if they are good and they go to the mosque and they pray and everything, then they are now qualified to have an emancipation agreement because you are preparing him when he goes out and live normally as, as a free person, you, you, you need to have a, a good person, a good member of society. The rest of the verse speaks about 
ولا تكرهوا فتياتكم على البغاء إن أردنا تحصنا Do not force your slave girls into prostitution if they themselves wish to remain honorable What does that mean? What if they themselves do not wish to remain honorable? Can we push them into prostitution? Still not. Why did Allah say so? It is to disgust you of this action because normally most girls who work into prostitution don't really want that. So it's like to disgust you of it. But even if they themselves wish to work in this uh, field, still this is not allowed. But the question here is, zina is not allowed by Islam. What is the value of mentioning prostitution and prohibiting it? Zina itself is, not, is haram. Yes, zina is haram, that's true. But this is sharia, and the sharia is for the Muslim society, which one of its components is the non-Muslims. Non-Muslims can practice zina between themselves and not openly, and you don't, you cannot. The, the, the government doesn't have the right to spy on them. But if they work in prostitution, this is not allowed by the law, and the government can force this on them. So prostitution is not one of the jobs that are acceptable by all means in a Muslim society. And then the verse ends with a problematic way, actually, that there was a, a famous Islamophobe who used it against Islam. He said that Islam allows pimping. Why? He said, see, the verse says, If they are forced, God will be forgiving and merciful, which means, yes, yes, go ahead and force them to work in prostitution because God is forgiving and merciful. Come on. God is forgiving and merciful for those who were forced. For the girls who were forced. And let me tell you something, even for the pimps themselves. If they repent, Allah is forgiving and merciful. Yes. This is one of the main aspects of Islam, that Allah forgives everything if you repent. We have a light at the, at the end of the tunnel. We don't have any action that when someone does, he's doomed forever. No, Allah forgives all sins. Do not despair of the mercy of Allah. <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says so. لَا تَيْأَسُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. Now there are some voices that appeared in the Middle East. Because in some Middle Eastern countries... Yeah, what time is it? Ten minutes, okay. In some Middle Eastern countries, we have a problem of sexual harassment. Women are harassed in the streets, harassed in buses, sexually harassed. So some people said, okay, let's open some brothels and allow prostitution because this will decrease definitely sexual harassment in the street. Because there are males who are like, they want to fulfill this desire, so instead of doing this in the street, let them go and do it in brothels with prostitutes. Is this allowed? Can we solve the problem of sexual harassment by allowing prostitution? Why not? What is the, the problem of sexual harassment? The problem is that it, is, it goes against the dignity of women. It degrades women. 
how do you want to solve that problem with a solution that still undignifies women? So what's, you didn't do anything then. The main goal is to keep the dignity of Muslims, whether males or females. So women should be dignified and, and treated honorably. They should not be harassed sexually. But the, 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 the solution should not be by undignifying other women and making them prostitute themselves. That's not, that's not right. Okay, what is the solution then? Allah told us, early marriage. Marry people, marry the singles. Early marriage here depends on the culture, different cultures. I'm not telling people that they can marry their girls in a very early age. That's not true. But the issue is it depends on the culture. So even when we were discussing the Egyptian constitution and some people wanted to force the age 21 and 18, we said, no, you can't do that. Well, we have cultures in some tribes in Sinai, in some villages where people are not used to this. Why force this on them? But early marriage is something definitely good. And here in Western culture, they are promoting early sex. Early sex is early marriage. For us, it is early sex, but within the frame of marriage. And Allah in verse number 34 says, وَلَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ آيَاتٍ مُبَيِّنَاتٍ وَمَثَلًا مِنَ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَمَوْعِضَةً لِلْمُتَّقِينَ We have sent verses down to you, people clarifying the right path. I compared this to the very first verse in Surah An-Nur that says, Suratun anzalnaha wa faradnaha wa anzalna fiha ayatin bayinatin. Allah says that he will, is descending in this surah ayat bayinat. In verse number 34, he said ayat mubayinat, not bayinat. The first verse speaks about what is coming. So it says in this surah there will be verses that are clear. You will hear clear instructions, clear verses. But in verse number 34, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, these verses that you have heard are what? Are clarifying for you. So they will be clarifying your life for you, the way of life. Inshallah, in the next, next time, next Friday, we will start discussing uh, verse number 35. Allahu nuru samawati wal ard which is one of the secrets of the Qur'an. I want you to read this verse a lot and try to contemplate on it. Try to understand it. Read the different tafsirs. It's amazing. And, and you will see that the Mufassirin did not really talk much about it because it's very, very it, 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 secretive. It's full of messages, but the tafsir could not really handle it. Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. مثل نوره كمصباح كمشكات فيها مصباح المصباح في زجاجة الزجاجة كأنها كوكب دري يوقد من شجرة مباركة زيتونة لا شرقية ولا غربية يكاد زيتها يضيء ولو لم تمسسه نار نور على نور يهدي الله لنوره من يشاء ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس والله واسع والله بكل شيء عليم God is the light of the heavens and the earth. His light is like this. There's a niche and in it there's a lamp. The lamp inside a glass 
a glass like a glittering star, fueled the glass, not the star, the fuel from a blessed olive tree, from neither east nor west, whose oil almost gives light even when no fire touches it. Light upon light, God guides whoever he will to his light. God draws such comparisons for people. God has full knowledge over everything. Jazakum Allah khairan. I have to end now because it's time for Isha and Barakallahu Fikum.